Good morning. The title of this morning's message is The Witnessed Resurrection. Uh, Matthew chapter 28. We're going to pull apart verses 1 through 7. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 7. And again, I just want to share a happy resurrection morning to everybody here. Um, it's exciting. I believe we are more than aware that nothing is more fundamental, nothing is more important to the Christian faith than what we are gathered to celebrate this morning. You remember the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 begins to lay out the gospel that he was entrusted to preach. And he says this in verse 3, for I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received. Paul identified the gospel he preached as of first importance. It is absolutely primary to the Christian faith to believe this gospel. And then the Apostle Paul goes on to spell out the basic components of the gospel he preached. There were four components of his message. First of all, he says, Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. Jesus offered himself as a substitute. He bore the full justice, the wrath of God against the sins of those who would believe in him. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. And I just want to encourage you, uh, if you are not here Friday evening, to go to the website um, and you will hear the scriptures that will, um, that will teach us uh, th through the Gospels uh, everything that led up to the resurrection and the powerful and effectual words of Christ from the cross. So I, I would urge you, I, I would it would bless your heart to listen to Friday's evening's uh, message. Secondly, Paul says this. He was buried. That is, he was put in a tomb because he was in fact truly dead. Jesus really died. Thirdly, Paul says, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. He was truly raised from the dead. And finally, Paul says, after that, he appeared to many witnesses. The resurrection, Paul says, is at the heart of the Christian faith. In fact, two of those four basic components of the gospel he preached had to do with the resurrection. Understand this. This is very important. To be a Christian, you must believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it is this truth that stands front and center in the Christian faith. Think about this. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. And he had the audacity to stake the validity on that claim. He, he staked it on one thing. The resurrection. Paul, in light of that, says this. If Christ has not been raised, our faith is worthless and we are still dead in our sins. Everything depends on the reality of the resurrection. 
That's why all four Gospels record the events of that morning. And what I want to do this morning as we gather together is to examine Matthew's account of what we just read a few moments ago. Thank you, Brother Keith, in Matthew 28. Now the point of Matthew's narrative, really the point of all four Gospels' narrative of the resurrection, is to drive home to us that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a real event witnessed by real people. It occurred on a real day, probably April 7th in the year of 30 AD. It occurred in a real place that you can still visit today, outside of Jerusalem's walls. Jesus really lived, and he really died on that Friday of the Jewish Passover. And that same Jesus truly came to life on that Sunday morning, the first day of the week. And today as we sit here, his spirit is alive in us who believe. The resurrection really happened in human history. And to give us confidence of that, God has graciously provided us witnesses of the resurrection. Matthew here in his account provides us a series of witnesses of the resurrection. Let's look at them together. And the first witness of the reality of the resurrection. The witnesses that saw Jesus on the first resurrection Sunday morning. The first group of witnesses that Matthew brings before us is the women. He met them in verse 1. We read, Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Madeline and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Who were these women? Matthew only mentions two of them. Mary Madeline, the woman who Jesus cast out seven demons and became devoted follower of his. She loved our Lord and always remained faithful to him. And then he mentions the other Mary. Who is this? Well, go back to Matthew chapter 27, verse 55. It's Friday, the day of the crucifixion. And verse 55 says, Many women were there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee and were ministering to him. Among them was Mary Madeline, and the Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. That woman is most likely the other Mary that's mentioned on the morning of the resurrection. And notice there in verse 56, Matthew adds a third woman who was involved in all of this, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. In other words, the mother of James and John, two of Jesus' disciples. In Mark's Gospel account, chapter 16 of Mark, tells us that this woman, the woman of James and John, was there on Sunday morning at the tomb. And her name was Salome. So there was a third woman who was there. In Luke's Gospel account, chapter 24, adds a fourth woman by the name of Jonah. And then he says, then he says also the other women. If you put all the Gospel accounts together, we learn that at least five women 
were at Jesus' grave that morning. Now, we don't know why God chose these women to be the first witnesses of the resurrection, but perhaps it's because of their constant faithfulness and loyalty to Christ, even when most of the rest of the disciples had fled. Matthew tells us in chapter 26 that most of the 11 disciples had fled at his arrest. Only two didn't. Peter followed Jesus for a time. You remember he shows up at the home of Caiaphas and witnessed part of the trial. But there he denied the Lord three times. And he left and he leaves. And so only John stayed with Christ throughout that night and throughout the crucifixion the next day. Only John and these faithful women were there that Friday as they stood near the cross with Mary, Jesus' mother. They stayed throughout the entirety of the crucifixion. Although, as darkness fell, those three hours of darkness, they seemed to have moved away from the cross, away from the immediate presence of Jesus' suffering, and watched from a distance. But they were, th they were there. They were there until his death. They even watched later to see where his body was buried. That means these women, think about this, could provide testimony of the exact location of Jesus' grave. And it's not like this grave could easily be missed. It was the tomb of one of the most wealthiest, influential men in Jerusalem, a member of the Sanhedrin named Joseph of Arimathea, and the tomb was near the site of the crucifixion. It was a new tomb that had been carved out of limestone rock and was surrounded by a garden marked with a distinctive huge stone that rolled in front of it to seal it. There was absolutely no chance that these women showed up at the wrong tomb. Verse 1 says, now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Madeline and the other Mary, and according to our records, at least three other women, came to look at the grave. It says, after the Sabbath. Now Sabbath was sunset Friday until sunset Saturday. And after the Sabbath, Sunday morning, they came. Jesus said, uh, Matthew says to look. But according to Luke, Saturday evening after the Sabbath ended, these women went to the local market and they purchased and prepared spices and perfumes to finish anointing the body of Jesus. They had watched Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea quickly prepare Jesus' body for burial late Friday afternoon before the Sabbath began at sunset. But they didn't know these men. They were from Galilee. They didn't know these Judeans, these two members of the council that had became secret followers of Jesus and had now come out after his death. And these women, because of their love and devotion to Christ, wanted to finish the preparation of his body themselves. That's what they came to do early Sunday morning. John tells us 
that they left their homes in the city of Jerusalem where they were staying while it was still dark. Mark tells us they arrived at the tomb just after sunrise. And Mark adds this. They brought spices so that they may come and anoint him. Think about this for a moment. These women had come to anoint the dead body of Jesus, and yet they would become the first human witnesses of the resurrection. The fact that the testimony of women was generally not accepted in the first century gives this record of account of this resurrection a ring of genuineness and authenticity. But this was God's plan. You see, they were not the only witnesses of the resurrection that day. Before the women arrived at the grave, there had already been another witness that morning. And it was God himself. We see this in verses 2 and 3. Before the women arrived, God had already provided testimony of the resurrection in two ways. First of all, through an earthquake, a severe earthquake. Notice verse 2. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. In fact, just a couple of days before on Friday, there had been another earthquake. You remember? Friday afternoon at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, at the very moment of Jesus' death, there had been a great earthquake. And notice verse 51 of chapter 27. And behold... The veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom and the earth shook and the rocks were split. Only God could do that. Even the graves were opened. That was Friday. Matthew describes the, the quake that happened Sunday morning as severe. God has frequently used earthquakes as a sign of his presence, right? Perhaps the most obvious one is what? Mount Sinai, right? When God was on top of the mountain communing with Moses and the whole mountain shook, we're told. And the people had no doubt that this was God's witness, that this was God's presence. This earthquake occurred, notice in verse 2, before the women arrived. A severe earthquake had occurred. And Matthew even gives us the reason for this earthquake. He connects it to the second way that God testified to the resurrection that morning. And that was not only through an earthquake, but through an angel visitation. Notice verse 2. A severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. The earthquake accompanied the arrival of a supernatural being sent from the presence of God himself to be a witness. Now Luke and John tell us that there were actually two angels. Matthew and Mark only mention the one who speaks. In verse 3, this angel's appearance, really both of these angels' appearance, was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. Each angel appeared like a blazing light that accompanies the thunderstorms and their robes were white as snow. Notice what these two angels did. 
We're told in verse 2, they rolled away the huge stone that sealed the tomb. And it's interesting, the wording that is used in the Greek here, the Greek language, because the wording makes it clear that they didn't just roll the stone in its track away from the entrance of the tomb, but rather they literally moved the stone into another place nearby. The stone was approximately two to 4,000 pounds. And they were, and were told that at least one of them sat on it. They didn't do this to let Jesus out. After they opened the grave, there was no sign of Jesus. He had already been gone. In his glorified body, Jesus passed through the walls of the tomb while the stone was still in place. The angels opened the grave to let the witnesses in so that everybody could see Jesus was no longer there. But the earthquake and the angels from heaven proved that God was involved in the events of that morning. They bared witness to the resurrection. Now there's a third group of witnesses. And I can promise you this. They really wish they weren't there that morning. It was the Roman soldiers. You remember that the day before, on Saturday, the Jewish leaders became concerned about Jesus' claims that he would rise from the dead on the third day? They asked Pilate to post a guard, Roman guard, detail, to make sure that no one stole Jesus' body. Now, typically, such a Roman guard consists of either four or as many as 12 soldiers with such a high-profile corpse to guard, with so much at stake, with a request from the leaders of the Jewish nation, it is almost certain that not four, but 12 soldiers were assigned to this detail. This was important because it allowed three soldiers to always be awake and on guard while the others ate or slept. Undoubtedly, all 12 of them were awakened by the earthquake and the angel's appearance. And notice when the angels appeared, verse 4, the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Now notice that several, perhaps all the guards, saw at least one of the angels. And they knew that something supernatural was happening. So in verse 2, the ground shakes. In verse 4, the soldiers shook. In fact, we're told they became so terrified, they went into shock. They became like dead men, but they saw. Later, they would report all that happened to the chief priests with a believability of firsthand witnesses. Notice verse 11. Now, why they, the women, were on their way some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests all that happened. They were first-hand witnesses. But what exactly did these soldiers witness? What could they testify to? Well, they could testify, first of all, that on Saturday, Jesus had been dead and his body was in the tomb. Think about it. If you were one of these soldiers and your job was to make sure that no one stole the body of Jesus 
and your life depended on it, I can promise you, you would have done exactly what they did on that Saturday. You would have looked into the tomb, made sure the body was there, secure a large stone, set guards around it, and guard it with your life. That's exactly what they did. So they could testify that on Saturday, Jesus' body was still there, and it was dead. Sunday morning, they experienced a supernatural earthquake. They saw the two angels show up. They watched them roll away the stone, and possibly they even heard the angels interchange with the women in verses 5 and 7. But they undoubtedly had seen the empty tomb after the woman had left. So although they didn't see the risen Christ, they witnessed the empty tomb, that miraculous supernatural event. These men were hardened, profane, irreligious men. But in God's providence, these veteran soldiers became the most unlikely witnesses of the resurrection. So at least five devoted women were witnesses to the resurrection. God himself witnessed the resurrection and testifies to the resurrection through an earthquake and the angel's visitation. The Roman soldiers were unwilling witnesses. And then there's the witness of the two angels in verses 5 and 6. As these five women were making their way to the grave that morning, Mark tells us that they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? You see, five women couldn't have moved that stone in an upward incline inside that track. This, this stone was six feet wide and a foot thick. And like I said, it weighed two to 4,000 pounds. But when they arrived, they discovered the large stone had already been rolled away from its track and was lying separate from the tomb. Immediately, Luke tells us, they went inside the grave, and they discovered that Jesus' body was gone. While they were still standing there, perplexed about what happened, these two angels appeared to them. Luke tells us, the women were terrified. They bowed their faces to the ground, perhaps to shield their eyes from the blazing brilliance of these two supernatural beings. But Matthew tells us one of the angels spoke. Notice verse 5. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who had been crucified. The guards had every reason to be afraid, but not Jesus' followers. The angel's description here of Jesus is of one who had been crucified. It underscores Jesus' death. Luke adds, the angel said to the women, why do you seek the living one among the dead? He says, listen, you came to find a dead body and anoint it with spices to keep the decay down, but you won't find his body here. Notice verse 6. He is not here. He has risen. Literally, the Greek text says, He has been raised. This is a divine passive. 
The Father raised him from the dead. But notice how the angel states the resurrection in verse 7. He says this, He has risen. Literally, he has been raised. And instead of from the dead, the Greek text says this, He has been raised from among the dead ones. He was one of the dead ones, but not anymore. He's been raised from among the dead ones. And the angel adds this in verse 7, just as he said. The disciples were completely surprised by the resurrection. But they shouldn't have been. Jesus had told them again and again concerning his death and resurrection. You remember from the very beginning, Jesus predicted his resurrection. At the beginning of his ministry, back in John 2, when he cleansed the temple, they said, by what authority do you do this? When he cleansed the temple, they said this, by what authority do you do this? And Jesus said to them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Speaking of the temple of his body. And again and again he explained this would happen. Go to Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time, and that time is from Peter's confession of Jesus as Messiah, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. Chapter 17, verse 9, as they were coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell this vision to no one until the Son of Man has risen from the dead. Go to verse 22. And while they were gathering together in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were deeply grieved. Go over to chapter 20, starting at verse 17. As Jesus was about to go up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside by themselves. And on the way, he said to them, Behold, this is, this is as they're going to the feast of Passover. He says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death. But now notice Jesus adds more detail here. And they will hand him over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised. Matthew 26, 32. This is the Thursday night of the Passion Week. At the Last Supper, Jesus says, but after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. So the disciples were surprised, but they shouldn't have been. But the angels God sent to the tomb that morning add their testimony to the testimony of others. He is risen, as he said. What was the testimony of the angels? Well, we could test, we could. They could testify to three critical realities. First of all, Jesus had been dead. He was among the dead ones, they said. Secondly, he was no longer in the grave. His body was gone. 
And thirdly, He has been raised by the Father to life. The angels then invited the women to consider a fifth witness of the resurrection, and that is the empty tomb itself. We see this in verses 6 and 7. Come, see the place where he was lying. Look in the grave. God invites us to do the same today, to look at the empty tomb. What did they see in that empty tomb? Well, Matthew doesn't tell us. But John does. Because John records what would unfold just a few minutes later when Peter and John, the apostles, would get to the tomb. Listen to John chapter 20, verses 6 and 7. And so Simon Peter also came, following him John, and entered the tomb. And here's what they saw. He saw the linen wrappings lying there on the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not laying with the rest of the linen wrappings, but rolled away in a place by itself. What he saw was those linen wrappings from Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, interwoven with 70 pounds of spices. They were there just collapsed on the site where Jesus' body laid. In other words, what had happened inside Jesus' grave was not the work of grave robbers. They would have taken those extremely expensive spices. In addition, the Roman soldiers were outside. Everything about this confessed to the reality of the resurrection. In fact, the combination of the empty tomb Jesus' body not there. And the way they found the grave clothes and the way they found the face cloth in the tomb caused John the Apostle, the Apostle to believe that Jesus had been raised. Brothers and sisters, never underestimate the testimony of the empty tomb. It is a majestic, powerful witness to the reality of the resurrection. On that Friday, think about it, how God arranged everything. On Friday, two members of the Sanhedrin, Joseph of Arimathea, one of the most influential men in Judaism, and Nicodemus, the great teacher in Israel, were told in John 3, became secret followers of Christ. And they came out after his death and requested Jesus' body. And remember, on the witness of two or three, a matter is established. But these weren't just two ordinary witnesses. They were the most influential men in the country. And they placed Jesus' dead body in the tomb. The five women watched them place his body in the tomb and sealed it with a stone. That was Friday. On Saturday, 12 soldiers had validated Jesus' body was still in the tomb and they rolled a large stone back across the entrance of the grave put a wax seal stamped with the Roman governor's own insignia and established a round-the-clock guard. That was Saturday. But on Sunday morning, the tomb was empty. More than 400 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, no one, not even his enemies, deny the reality of the empty tomb. So where was Jesus' body? What happened to Jesus' body? 
That's the question that uh, accompanies the empty tomb. And there's only three options. First option is that his enemies took Jesus' body. But if they took his body when Jesus' disciple began to claim that he was raised from the dead, why didn't they provide that body? I know I'd be the first one there saying, no, he didn't raise. His body is right here. In addition, what about those 12 soldiers? How do you get past them? Second option that has been proposed is that the disciples took the body. Well, that wasn't going to happen because they were clearly frightened. They had been hiding in fear apart from John, even to be at the scene. In addition, what about the 12 Roman soldiers? Besides that, 10 of the 11 remaining disciples would die as martyrs, claiming that they had seen the risen Christ. This is not how frauds and liars respond to the threat of their own lives. The only other option that exists is that Jesus was, as he's claimed, risen from the dead. Sixty years later, after this event, when Jesus appeared to the Apostle John on the island of Patmos, this is what he said, recorded in Revelation chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. Listen to the familiar language here. When I saw him, that's when he saw Jesus, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Now in light of Jesus' resurrection, the angel tells the women in verse 7, Go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, and behold, I have told you. Jesus would appear to the apostles and to the crowd of his followers. So the women left the angel in the tomb, and they went to find the apostles. Now when they found them, Matthew doesn't tell us what happened, but Luke does. So keep your finger here in Matthew and turn to Luke 24. And look at verses 9 through 12. Luke 24, verses 9 through 12. We read, They returned from the tomb and reported all things to the eleven and all the rest of the disciples that had gathered. Now there was Mary Madeline and Jonah and Mary the mother of James, also the other woman with them. They were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they wouldn't believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen wrappings only, and he went away to his home, marveling at what happened. Now go back to Matthew 28. Before the women get there, before they get to where the apostles had gathered, two things happened. The first thing that happened, we know from John's Gospel, that a few minutes after their interchange with the angels, 
Jesus appeared for the first time after his resurrection to one of them that stayed at the tomb. Mary Madeline. She stayed near the tomb and became, in a real sense, the first human witness of the resurrection. After that, Jesus appeared to these women who had not yet arrived at their destination where the apostles gathered. They had left the tomb quickly and were on their way there. Jesus appeared to them in verses 8 and 9. It says this, And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they will see me. Now still on that first resurrection Sunday, still on that day, in addition to what we've seen so far, in Luke 24, verses 13 to 27, we have two more witnesses. Jesus encountered the two Arameans Emmaus Road Disciples. One of them was named Cleopas. Jesus walked with them, ate with them, and taught them the Scriptures. Their eyes were opened and they recognized the resurrected Christ. But Jesus quickly disappeared from their presence and they returned to tell the disciples back in Jerusalem of what happened. In verses 36 through 43, as they were reporting to the disciples, what had happened, Jesus appeared to them. And he said, touch me. See my hands and my feet. And see that I am real, that I'm alive. And that I am who I claim to be. And he ate with them to prove that he was in fact the risen Lord. Witness after witness after witness. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6, Two weeks after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to more than 500 people of his disciples in Galilee. If what we're here to celebrate today really happened, we must respond to Jesus the way the women did that morning. How did they respond? Number one, we must confess Jesus as Lord. Look at verse 9. And they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshipped him. They acknowledged who he was. He was their Lord and God, and he worshipped them. It's like what happened eight days later when Jesus appeared to the ten disciples and to Thomas was with them on that occasion. And Thomas saw the risen Christ and he said, My Lord and my God. If the resurrection really happened, you must believe the gospel and you must acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and God. This is what true faith looks like. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, Paul says this, We must confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, and you will have eternal life. Number two, you must worship Jesus as God. You must worship Jesus as God. Look at verse 9. And they worshipped him. Jesus here expects, he receives, he deserves to be the object of their worship and ours. 
So we must confess Jesus as Lord. We must worship Jesus as God. And there's one final way we must respond, even as they did. We must proclaim Jesus as Lord and Savior. The angel had already commanded these women to spread the news of the resurrected Savior. Verse 7, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. But proclaiming the message of Christ who died for sin and was raised from the dead was not only for the women who saw him that morning or the disciples. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, when all of Jesus' Galilean disciples gathered on the mountain, this is what Jesus said to them. Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of me of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. In other words, to keep, to obey, to do all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? And I'm going to close on this note. So we're, we're, we're right there. We've got about 10 feet left before the finish line. All I need to do is find my last page. Here we go. If you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe he is the eternal son of God who became man, if you believe that he died for your sins according to the scriptures, as the perfect sacrifice and substitute for your sin, if you believe that he was buried and that he was raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures, if you believe after that he appeared to many witnesses, we are morally obligated to tell others about Jesus, to be a witness to the reality of his death, burial, resurrection, and the Spirit of Christ that continues to live in us who believe. In Romans 6, verses 4 and 5, we read, Therefore, we have been buried with Him, with Christ, through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. We who are dead in our trespasses and sins have had a co-resurrection with Christ spiritually. This means we have been raised up out of the spiritual grave of sin and brought to newness of life. We who were enslaved to sin and its power have had the chains broken which once kept us in a state of condemnation before a just and holy God. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to remind ourselves each day who we are in Christ and walk in that victory and in the spirit and the power of His resurrection. May God, by His grace and for His glory, empower us each day to be a witness of a changed life and proclaim to those around us the effects 
of the resurrection in our lives as we follow Jesus as Lord and God. He has risen.